Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. All right. Hello and welcome to the Zero Weakness Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Establishment Coffee Co. Go to establishmentcoffee.com.au, use the code 025, get 25% off your order and free shipping. We are back with Jordan Hellier today and... Um, yeah, we've got some cool topics, some cool questions to talk about. But first, let's get into our favorite topic, Tom Bro's Grievance of the Week. Yeah, I mean, it's still not my favorite topic, but I'm happy to talk about it. Um, some of you may know that uh, as an athlete, you need uh, adequate nutrition, uh, but to perform, sleep is really important. And as the kind of high-level pro-raw deadlift-only winning athlete that I am, sleep is extremely important to me. Um, and I've, I've had a stowaway guest at my house for the last uh, seven to ten days, John Hellyer from Wales. Uh, and he's, he's stuck with me for another few days. I know where this is going. Um, and my grievance is just the enormous mac- lack of sleep due to Jordan snoring basically earth-shattering sounds keeping me up all night. <laughs> Uh, so if the quality of, of general zero has gone down the toilet in the last week, it's due to lack of sleep uh, in the leadership caused sabotage potentially uh, by a lower level employee. <laughs> lower, level. <laughs> lower level than me. <laughs> the bots. That should be shot. I've got another. I've Jeez. thought of something. I mean, this is a form of insubordination. Okay. I, I'm prepared to write a w- written warning at this stage. <laughs> Do you know what else? Do you know what else I've been thinking about, Thomas? That I'd, if I was a business owner, I'd be. It would be a grievance of mine. We've had about a million short weeks in a row. So you have to pay us for not coming into work. Yeah, I'd prefer if you didn't remind me that. <laughs> uh, public holidays are funny, as like in this industry, because you don't like if you don't have a real job like me, you you never know when they're coming up, and so people will be like, "Hey, is the gym open on Monday?" Like, Why the fuck wouldn't it be? Like it's because it's show day or whatever the fuck dumb public holidays we have in Australia. <laughs> Australians love a public holiday. Do you guys have many in Wales? Not as many as you guys. I've been here for three weeks and I think you've had three. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're like every weekend. I've had three day weeks for literally three weeks. Yeah. And then this week's a four day week. Oh, was it? I went to Melbourne first. I was like day one of exploring and then everything was closed. <laughs> public holiday. Following weekend, there was like Easter. Came here and I was just like, oh, cool. What are we doing Monday? Public holiday. It's like, guys, you don't work. <laughs> Yeah. It's a good life, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Australian way of life. <laughs> yeah. Five day week? What the fuck are you talking about? Five. I know in other parts of the world, you don't get paid you don't get paid for like public holidays. There's places you don't even get annual leave and things like that. I know, Australia's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> we need reformation. <laughs> the fact that I can't employ a twelve year old and pay them five bucks an hour under the table is disgusting. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, uh, how have we been going? How's our training going? Was it start any? Uh, yeah, it's it's gone. I've actually, I don't know, did I say this last week? I'm not doing nas- nationals anymore, APL nationals. I've pulled out. Uh, it's probably the best thing for me. I'm very uh, beat up and banged up. I've got something sore or wrong with me every single week. And I've just been kind of, yeah, just, yeah, being stupid with my training as well. And uh, yeah, so I think it's smart that I put it on the back burner. And just focus on something else for now. Enjoy training, have fun, be in the gym, make my sessions shorter. Um, yeah, that's it. But I'm still training. 
You're going to mm. go for the half marathon? Yeah. So I, I signed up for the half marathon again. I did – last year I ran – I did some endurance running – do you call it endurance or distance running, whatever you want to call it, yeah. last year? So I've started running again uh, last week, but this time I'm determined to still train hard in the gym. Like, my goal, my literal goals are to get fitter and get more jacked. So I'm just going to do them both. That's good. Mm. And the only reason why concurrent training doesn't work is if you believe it doesn't work. Yeah. There's no reason why you can't continue to get stronger and, um, and way fitter at the same time. You might not maximize either one of them, but you can certainly be good at both. Yeah. Did, did you guys ever follow Alex Viata? No, I've definitely heard of him though. Yeah, he was he was like a, a guy that was, I think he was doing ultra marathons or something like that. Like more than marathons, but also powerlifting at the same time. Jeez. That's uh, cool. Look up his stuff. He's yeah. he's a really interesting guy. Yeah, so last year when I ran, I just, I looked like a bag of melted cheese. <laughs> so this year I'm determined to look good like get, get stronger in the you know yeah still mm. have fun lifting weights because I love it and then get fit at the same time so I just want to be jacked get healthier get fitter yeah yes yeah, it's a really funny like it's a really funny subject that how people think you could only develop one attribute mm. through like a period of time it just comes to the point of like what you were saying earlier about like prioritization you know when you want to shift gears and emphasize more of a certain area that becomes a priority you mean the other and like the thought process behind like only developing one sort of attribute of training is completely flawed when you got sports that require all of that, you know, agility, multi-directional change of direction, you know, rate of force development, strength. You have to have those qualities in your competition sport. But then how they train for it is just through like, you know, off season they'll develop X qualities. When they're in season, they'll maintain those qualities and bring up aerobic capacity or whatnot. It's like definitely possible. You just gotta be organized. Yeah, I I think I'm guilty of of talking about the fact that, you know, if you've got these two concurrent goals, you're you're going to be you might be able to be pretty good at both of them, but not great at either of them. And I still kind of believe that. But the the more you sort of make that reality, the more you kind of uh, pe- people just take it to the extreme. They're like, "Oh, I cannot do that." Well, of course you can. I mean, you're a great example. Like Jordan coaches tennis kids, and it's not just like, "Hey, hit the ball." You're playing tennis nonstop with them, and you do that all the way through strength phases into your peaks. And still peak beautifully and, and get stronger consistently. It's like it's not like you can't do that. I kind of look at it as well as like forget that it's sport and just think of it as what if you were doing a manual labor job? Mm. Like you're active, you're on your feet. I forget that because we sit around and type on computers these days to coach most of the time. We might get on our feet a bit, but we're not lifting anything as part of our job. Like you've got Rido who lugs around heavy shit all day and then comes and squats three fifty. <laughs> or Chris Humphreys, who's who's building sets or building houses all day in the sun, and or concreting or whatever he does, and then coming in and doing a full you know three hour training session or something like that, we forget that you can do a lot of stuff. Your body's not that useless. For sure. How's your training going, Jordan? Yeah, good. So I've just had a bit of a downtime spell after pro raw. Um, took a couple of days off. Um, had a little play in single ply. Chucked on a deadlift suit yesterday for the first time. First time I've ever been in equipment. So I was really uh, different, really fun. Um, don't know if I'll pursue it in terms of like doing a single ply meet, but nice to have a play around whilst I'm here. But in terms of like what I'm going to do now is like, I'm going to have some time off from competition. I don't think I'll plan a comp until either right towards the end of the year or maybe even early next year, maybe even pro war next year. Um, we'll see. I've just transitioned into the 110s. So I'm really keen to fill that out. So I think my goals now over the next like you know few blocks of training is just to put in a lot of work, get some like you know general hypertrophy in, um, and just try and slowly but surely start to fill out the 
110 class. Get juicy. Awesome. How did equipped feel? Describe the feeling as a first time equipped lifter. Like, obviously, James is very experienced, <laughs> so he knows. <laughs> H- have you deadlifted in a suit? No, but I've done a lot of uh, bench pressing in, a, in equipment. That's it. AKA one session. It, it's similar. <laughs> James' ex, ex, uh, <laughs> experience of equipped benching is similar to mine on log. <laughs> <laughs> Very vast. What it wonder. No, it was really good. It was, it was real different. Like the first suit I put on was real loose. So it just felt like um, a little bit restrictive, but I could still move the same. Second suit I put on was quite a bit tighter, um, but Thomas still said it was loose. Bruce felt really tight. Um, and then it was just like, you know, it was just extreme resistance for me to get into a good position. So I tried to do the exact same technique as I do when I do when I deadlift raw. And when I got into that bottom position, it just really pulled me forward. And like, you know, I have like this sort of preset um, measure in my head of how hard I need to like set my brace, how hard I need to squeeze my shoulders. Um, but I had to do that like two, three times harder uh, just to get into the position. And I went up to like 320. And then when I got it, when I got it right, it felt real good. Real good. Do you, so yeah. Do you know what pissed me off about your deadlift in the suit? How oh. good you looked. You look <laughs> so jacked. Oh, it, always, it always makes me a little bit upset when I see someone in a singlet. I'm like, they look mad. And then when I go put my singlet on with no t-shirt underneath, I'm like, nah, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> put a t-shirt on underneath. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd feeling. And especially deadlifts for the first time, like compared to, to bench or, or squat, like bench and squat, you you almost like relax into it a little bit. You stay tight and you the, the weight is what's, or the suit and the weight are determining the eccentric rather than you controlling the eccentric. Whereas in a deadlift, you're you're forcing yourself into this position against the tension of the suit. And it's a real lesson really quick. Like, so Jordan did 320 twice and the first one he didn't lock out. And the mm. second one was easy as. And it, the only difference was just fighting the suit a bit harder. Yeah, for sure. Wild sensation, I couldn't feel my belt at all either. First time I felt that. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was just so much emphasis around like my, my hips. You know, I was in the suit, I pulled sumo. And there's so much emphasis around the hips. When I like leave it in position, like, yeah, I literally couldn't feel my belt. Jeez. Crazy. It's just super tight. Oh. Yeah, it's super fun. So I'm uh I'm gonna try and prep for um uh the IPL Worlds, which is the end of October. because uh, we we Daniel and I have to get go over there to get um to get clued up and um, trained up to be world referees for when we run worlds a couple of weeks after. And Daniel is thinking about going and competing. So I was like, oh, well, I may as well chuck on a suit and do that because uh, I wanted to do equip for the rest of the year. So I'm going to take a block of training of just general training, lose a little bit of weight and try and rehab this adductor to the point where I can squat again. Uh, and then I'll jump back in equipment and where we go. Yeah. Well, where, where's I, is it IPL? Yeah. Well, Al- where is that? Alabama. Oh. Orange Beach. What a trek. Okay. And uh, so I'm assuming the refing is the same, like Worlds there and APL Worlds here? Yeah, yeah. APL is the Australian affiliate of the IPL. So oh, it's the okay. same federation. Yeah. Oh, wow. Awesome. What about you, CJ? Um, yeah, no, no plans to compete. I just uh, eating a lot of volume. Just uh, pretty much that's that'll be me for a while now. Just, yeah, on the grind, working hard. And yeah, enjoying it, really enjoying um, uh, doing, I guess, more reps than heavy weight, which I never thought I'd hear myself say. You don't but have to lie. <laughs> 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 no, but I, I am, I am. It's like a love-hate relationship, but it's good. I am enjoying training. So yeah, it's me. I don't know. I definitely reckon it feels good going back to reps after, after a peak, 
after a couple of weeks. Like the first couple of weeks, you're like, oh, why? And then after a couple of weeks, you get some rhythm going with it. You feel really good. Mm. You just feel fitter and healthier and yeah, for sure, nicer. I yeah. just like that. The, the like for me personally, the sessions are shorter. Yeah, they're easier. They're more fun. I'm not as sore. I don't know. Like my shoulders are probably worse than a lot of people's. So I get really bad arm pain from low bar. So it's just fun not having that pain and, you know, then being able to bench and do all that stuff that week as well. So, mm. yeah, me too. I love those phases of training. I like not relying on people. Yeah. I like not getting up wraps, pre-rolling pre those mm. and stuff. And the soreness is just different. You know, like peaking soreness is just like tight neural tone, joint pain, arm pain, just like hard to move whereas like you know when we're running through the volumes it's like muscular pain yeah you feel like yeah, i'm getting yeah, jacked i'm getting big yeah yeah that's yeah. no, true yeah it's good and feeling pumped after sessions yeah, yeah. Mm. good Absolutely. times yeah sick do you guys not get a pump after a single <laughs> <No>? <laughs> my back does yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just me oh. okay all right so today's topic we are talking about most influential people on our coaching and who we look up to in the industry. So I guess this could be anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you guys are all coaches here. Jordan, you kick us off. Oh, I was hoping to go last. <laughs> um, most influential people. So I've, I've probably had like um, the experience, well, you know, the pleasure of experiencing some mentoring from um, Dan Green. So he came to the UK um, I did a seminar um, for, uh, I think it was only for, it was only for a day, um, but I learned a lot from him and the way that he plans, the way he sees technique, um, the way he periodizes his training um, and his clients. So I drew quite a lot from that um, and I applied quite a lot of those concepts afterwards. About a year or two later, um, Sebastian Oreb came to the UK and I did a couple of his, um, well, I did his strength system um, courses um, so I drew a lot from from that as well and then sort of combined the two together um, but I don't want to you know blow smoke up his ass but the person I draw most inspiration from is probably Tom Bro um, doing the coach development system and learning an actual system instead of like what I was experienced before of like just making things up drawing loads of you know information from loads of different sources and and just sort of shooting in the dark or I felt like I was shooting in the dark so having this system to to follow, you know, I bought into it really well. Hence why I'm why I'm here. Um, and he complained about my snoring, but I don't think it's a snoring. It's probably just me in his ear all the time, just drilling more and more information, just telling me to <laughs> shut up. I just want to talk about training anymore. Um, yeah, love it. So yeah, so that's probably probably mine. But in terms of like what I do in terms of drawing inspiration now is I just challenge whatever someone puts out on Instagram or YouTube or something. I'll try and see it from their context, compare it to, from my context, see if they know something that I could learn from and improve myself, um, or if not, sort of just strengthen my own personal beliefs. Um, and I'll do that from, you know, loads of different, you know, areas of fitness, you know, from sports performance, people coaching gem pop, um, people obviously doing powerlifting and stuff. I just like, like listening to what they have to say, seeing the context that they're delivering it from and just either strengthening my own personal beliefs or challenging myself to try and improve. Mm. It's the cool thing about social media is that, you know, we have these big influences, but um, as in we have had these big influences in our career, social media allows you to do processes like that and draw influence and inspiration from so many more people um, to formulate an average of where you sit and so, like, this is a hard question to answer. Um, CJ, do you have an answer? Were you going to answer this one? Yeah. Um, well, I'm not a coach, so no one's influenced by coaching. But in terms of the industry, 
Um, you guys for sure have the most influence of my lifting ever and over these last, you know, two years I've been powerlifting. But um, I guess what got me into even strength sports, uh, someone I love watching was Brian Shaw. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't even know what powerlifting was, but he's just um, someone who's like, uh, I guess, yeah, strongman was more televised and you saw more of it on the media and so and it was just cool feats of strength that you saw people do so that's what got me I guess attracted to the sport and and he's just someone who's um just a great role model um on and off the screen real friendly guy but an absolute monster in and yeah through that then I I found powerlifting so I'd say yeah what got me into the sport was probably him initially yeah. Did you ever did you ever watch the video of like um, bodybuilder and strongman uh, go out to lunch or something? And it's Brian Shaw and um, <laughs> I can't remember the bodybuilder he went out with, but they're like getting completely different food. Mm. And he has like a five thousand calorie meal. <laughs> and in the video, he orders like a giant thick shake with heaps of cream on top. And after I saw that video, every restaurant I went to, I'd ask for a thick shake with cream on top. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, so good. Love it, James. Um, I've got quite a few, uh, but first and foremost, it's always Tom bro, Thomas Lilly. He influences, uh, pretty much everything what I do in this space, like as a whole, like not only as coaching, but I guess also to an extent the way I carry myself as a coach representing zero and things like that. Um, but definitely me doing the coach development system, cause I, it was never my intention to be a coach. You know, I worked for Thomas at the start and he said, I've said this before on the podcast, but he goes, you know, you have to do some coaching when you work here. And I was like, yeah, sweet. And um, I did the coach development course and yeah, every week I was like blown away at what, I, what I'd learned during those sessions. And, um, you know, I've got a little bit more access to Thomas because we work, you know, I work for him under the same roof. So after those sessions, I'd go upstairs and ask him more questions and yeah, so I can just ask him questions anytime. But the coach development system, that was huge for me. And when I look back at where I've learned things from or why I do things, it, I always reference the coach development system. So when people ask me, hey, da-da-da-da-da, how'd you learn this? It's always like, fuck it. It's actually all in the coach development system. This isn't an ad for the coach development system either. Twice now. Yeah. <laughs> but sign up. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's the that's my main one. And um, there was a period there where I started taking on a little bit more, uh, you could call them gen pop or you can call them S&C clients. So I was coaching rugby players, football players, AFL players, whatever. Um, and I was a little, I was shooting in the dark a little bit. So all of my, all of my uh, understanding on how to program and coach things was from the internet, but I never really had any real mentors in that industry. And there were people I looked up to um, and Thomas actually organized me a call with Jamie Smith and Jamie Buziotis from Melbourne Strength Culture. So I always looked up to them boys in the industry and it's uh, pretty cool now I get to you know, rub shoulders with them and I can call them my mates. But I had a mentoring call with them and that kind of just uh, solidified my beliefs and my thought process behind what I was doing because, you know, they were the guys that I looked up to and they said, you're on the right track. What you're doing is perfect. Uh, so they're two guys I still look up to. They're still two guys I will always send messages um, if I've got any questions or anything like that. And the third guy is so random and pretty uh, – It's his name's Ben Bruno. Have you guys heard of him? Oh, no. So he's a celebrity trainer in America, and he's he's not um 
I'm not trying to put him down, but he's not crazy smart. He's just a really cool guy. And you can see why people go to get coaching from him. He's a fun guy to be around. He, you know, his training sessions are fun. So NBA players go to him, but mainly like actors and actresses and that, just because his content's funny. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He trains hard, but he doesn't take life too seriously. Like you, he's a trainer, but uh, it's not his, it doesn't, it's not his identity as a whole. So he's someone I really look up to when I need a, some inspiration in terms of, you know, trying to find myself or trying to find that balance because he's so good at it. Mm. So they're mine. No, I'm really glad you brought that up as the third one because I think so often these conversations about who we learned from from a technical side of things, like you know programming or or coach uh, um, technique or something like that. Whereas the reality of coaching is so much more of it is just people skills, interaction, and creating programming or training that promotes adherence because adherence and consistency ultimately drives the goal. And so, yeah, we need to know the technical side of things, the programming side of things at a very deep level if we're working with the elite powerlifters of the world or the elite sports people of the world. The majority of the people we work with aren't that. They just need to train and train consistently. Um, And part of doing that means maybe choosing exercise selection or sessions or interactions that promote adherence and promote the desire to come back and do it. And I think a lot of people miss that when they have these conversations. Um, So... I, I actually made it before we did the, the podcast format like this. If you go back to some of the earlier episodes, the last one I did, I think, before we did this was Who Inspires Me? It was at the end of last year. So go back and listen to that. Um, you can hear me talk about it a little bit more. But um, like I think of my journey through coaching. I started coaching uh, over 10 years ago and I hit the Dunning-Kruger peak very quickly. Like I thought I was... I thought I knew everything. I thought I had nothing to learn. And so I was pretty closed off to new information for a while uh, before I started being like, I actually don't know anything. I need to learn more. Um, and that's where I really started getting inspired. Because back then it was just, the other thing was access to information was so poor. You know, we had forums, YouTube was just kicking off, but w- the training space wasn't that good or wasn't that sophisticated. Um, you know, the, the kind of places that I was learning from was Elite FTS, so you can think you, so you think you can squat, so you can think you can bench, you can go watch those. They're very old school and rudimentary and a lot of us learned that way, but we've become better thinkers over the years. Um, my earliest influences with, with programming would be Scott Wasson. Uh, Scott um, had PTC Brisbane back then, which later became Valhalla Strength. Uh, when I opened PTC Gold Coast, he gave me all the programming templates that he designed and then I played around with them and started formulating my own programming style, um, which was really just a bastardization of um, old Cohen programming and um, Shaco stuff. Uh, so the, the first really big influence on the change of how my coaching operated was Chad Wesley Smith. Um, I attended a, a workshop with him in Melbourne on, on programming and completely changed the lens through which I viewed programming. And then I had the opportunity to go stay at his house in, in USA and, and pester him with questions for a week and just learn a whole bunch more stuff. But there's been so many inspirations on so many different levels of, of coaching and business. Like Stan Efferding came out to Australia and I went to a workshop of his and the technical side of things was... Uh, you know, I don't want to sound rude, but it was pretty much useless. Like it was, it was very old school, rudimentary, just lift more. Um, you know, it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't very insightful or great, but when we sat down and we could ask him questions, I don't know if you guys know, but Stan Efferding is a very successful business person and has an awesome way of thinking about business. And one of the things that he said that has resonated with me ever since, and I think about it a lot, 
um, he was talking about the fact that we as gym people, you know, will dedicate so much time to meal prep, to training, to sleep, to everything that goes into being a better athlete without thinking about it. Like we are willing to put in and do that work. If we can take that ability, that energy, that effort and put it into something like our business, we'll just watch it skyrocket. Because a lot of the times things that are missing in our lives that we want to be better are just missing attention. They're just missing work, like general work. And when we love something like training, we don't think of it as work. So if we can apply that same mindset to other stuff, uh, it just gets so much better. And so that was a big takeaway from, for me from him uh, in terms of business mindset. Um, Ed Cohen, I, I've, I've been to several of his seminars and, and been lucky enough to be able to like go hang out with him one-on-one -on -one and get meals with him and stuff like that. And just his general mindset around training and longevity is awesome if, if you ever get the pleasure of meeting ed cohen he's just the best kind of person so uh, that was huge um and then really in later years like in the last two or three years my biggest inspiration is the people around me like everyone loves this coach development system and, and uh, i was talking to jordan about this the other day i never sat down and thought okay i need to figure out how to teach how, how to teach someone to teach a squat i'll come up with three rules and these three rules will be the rules for squat. And then there'll be the rules for bench and deadlift. I never sat down and did it. I just started talking. And so my inspiration came from talking to the original people who wanted to get mentored by me, them asking questions, me articulating my beliefs and then formulating that into this thing. And so you guys consistently asking questions and then applying the system and me being able to answer those questions and change things or answer those questions, keep things the same. And then watch you use my system and be like, that part doesn't work. That part doesn't work. This needs to change. That, that's my inspiration. Like you guys are my inspiration. And what the system has done for Zero and the clients that come into Zero, the jobs that it's provided, that's my inspiration. Um, that's been, yeah, game changing for all aspects of the business. It's really cool. And then just our peers in the industry killing it, you know, like looking at the Melbourne Strength Culture boys killing it, looking at Nexus killing it, looking at Australian strength coach like Sebastian Oreb. Anytime I get a chance to talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, there's just so much to learn from people that are doing well, just in terms of how they're thinking about things, how they're formulating their ideas, their content, their, their approach. And I mean, if I was to, because I've probably spoken to these kind of people more than anyone else here, if I was to formulate like the general underlying principle all the people that are doing super successful are just doing something really simple, consistently and well, and really passionately. That's all it comes down to. Like the zero coach development system, it's, it's not complicated, right? Like how we look at technique is not complicated. Three rules, here's a bunch of cues, here's how we filter it through the exercise selection. You see it work, you do it consistently, you say the same thing over and over and it just works. And it's like, well, th this is it, you know? It's just simple, repeatable that's the stuff that tends to get the best results. Um, and the more I see that in other, other systems, the less I look at the actual system and more I look at just like the consistent approach, sticking to the guns, ignoring the hate that comes with it and just like doing what you do and doing it really well. I, I love that. Yes, yeah, so it's really funny like you said about, because I asked you the question like, how did you come up with the system? Um, and you said that I didn't actually sit down and think of it. It was just all done via, you know, talking to people on the course and stuff. And it's really funny. I think it's a really powerful thing, just like just talking and vocalizing what you're doing. It's like since I've been staying with Thomas, I've been pummeling, pummeling him with questions. And then he'd like throw a question back. Um, so an example would be like um, like online coaching and like online feedback. I've been you know helping a couple of coaches with with that. 
And then I'd be telling Thomas, like, my justifications in why I write things. And I was just pretty much on autopilot. And I was like, oh, yeah, this works. And I know this is working well. But then when I actually explained it out loud, it's like I understood it even more. So now it makes perfect sense to me. Like, you know, through just the interaction, you teaching it, people asking questions, you applying it. Now when I'm doing my my feedbacks, I feel like I understand what I'm saying even more. And then in turn, I feel like I can help people even more. And that's not just from like new information. It's just vocalizing what I'm already doing, having a conversation back and forth so we can articulate and extrapolate things more. And then I feel like it's like a light bulb moment. I feel like I've learned more with just by, you know, talking. Mm. It's really interesting, like, when you coach someone and you're talking to them, and you can clearly see it's either going over their head or they're not interested, you, you don't care. You're just like, oh, this person just doesn't care. When you sit down and you're teaching someone what you do and you're trying to justify it, and they're, like, deadpan staring back, like, what is this person talking about? And then they actually confront you on it, like, what does that actually mean? Or how does that work? Or I think it works this way. What do you think about that? And then you have to sit there and be like, I believe this stuff so, so strongly, but I never actually question it. And then when you question it, you're like, you know what? That doesn't make sense. I need to go back to the drawing board on this. It just, yeah. Re recall is like the quickest way to learn anything. You read, you digest information. You can be obsessed with learning about whatever, TNs, you know? You learn about the history of TNs. You get really good at, um, you get really good at being, showcasing your knowledge just by talking about it out loud. Like it's one thing that is uh, that really attracted me to James initially before you were a member here, is that you were obsessed with powerlifting back then, and I'm not obsessed with powerlifting. Like I am to an extent, but I'm very in my own local bubble. I've, I've never been that interested in the sport at, outside of like you know um, Doctor Deadlift uh, um, pulling five hundred two the other day. Dr. Deadlift, Mr. Deadlift. There's two of them. I Mr. Yeah. Mr. Deadlift. Yeah, yeah. Christoph. Uh, Christoph, yeah. Pulling that 502. Like, I love that stuff. I love seeing that. But the people who are like the big name Instagram social people, I, I don't know many of them or what they practice and what they preach. And James would always come and say, oh, so-and-so is doing this and they hit these numbers and they're as part of this federation. Like, he just knew powerlifting really well. And like, you get really good at that by just talking about it. You watch it. And when you talk to someone about it, you just remember it. If you just think about it, you, you often forget it or butcher it or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, like this idea of if you're a coach and you're, you're getting inspired by people like us or strength culture or whoever you're getting your information from, the best way you can solidify your beliefs is not just think about it, but talk to someone about it. Go back and forth and, and see if what you've digested and are spitting out actually holds up. Cool. Sweet. Absolutely. Um, Another question uh, we got here is how can let me read it <laughs> uh, how goal setting can be wrong Ooh. can it be wrong that's a that's a good question CJ um, <clears throat> how goal setting can be wrong for me personally uh, I said it on a podcast episode like I had the goal to squat three hundred. Um, it's still the goal there, but I let, uh, I kind of let, uh, I attach my goals to certain numbers. I was thinking about comp and what I wanted to hit at comp. So I attached all my goals surrounding that number. I guess you could say a total. Um, so then I kind of just, I got lost in the process. I stopped enjoying the process because I, all I was thinking about was the end goal. 
all I could think about was me finally squatting 300, me doing X amount on bench press, me doing X amount on deadlift, whatever. And then um, I kind of, yeah, like I said, I just got lost in the process and I stopped enjoying my training to an extent. Like, and the reason why we train to begin with is because we, we will fucking love it. Mm. We got into this sport because we love it. We enjoy it. Um, you know, it brings us joy. It's, 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 a, it's a hobbyist sport. None of, us, none of us get paid to do it. Uh, you know, we don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, You've obviously never won pro roll. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so I was, I forgot, like I was just, I, until I mentioned it out loud before, like I hit PBs for like the last four weeks. Like, I hit PBs for the last 10 weeks and none of them fucking meant anything to me in my head. You know, I hit huge PBs on squats. Like I squatted, I can't remember what it was, like 180 for eight in sleeves, 185 for six or six in sleeves, 200 for four in sleeves, 212 for five in wraps, 220 for three. Like the numbers are irrelevant. But all of those were huge PBs mm. and not one of them meant anything to me. Like they were all massive achievements. Um, the other week I failed a triple at 240 and I was upset. But then I just realized, I was like, fuck, that's a PB. Like that's my one rep max. I, you Normally I'd be ecstatic. I'd be over the moon and... Yeah. Wasn't it? There's 12 kilos above your previous one rep max, wasn't it? Yeah. It was either, I can't remember if my old one rep max was either 230 or 235. Um, but I've never, before that, I never even tripled, you know, 210. Mm. Um, so little things like that, like, yeah, like not even being excited about a PB, like that's, yeah, I was just lost in the process. All I could think about was the end goal, which, um, yeah, for me, it was like detrimental to my training, detrimental to my to me as a coach as well, like, cause I love celebrating other people's wins. And you know, when I can't even celebrate my own wins we, uh, each week, it just kind of made things shitty for myself. Mm. So for me, goal setting ca can be negative. I just need to change my mindset around goal setting. Mm. Do you set goals CJ? You a goal, uh, are you a goals guy? Uh, yes and no. Like for me, uh, something like uh, I've, switched in my mindset is to more enjoy the grind enjoy the process the you know be training be like i hate this i don't want to be here but i'm here anyway and i love it <laughs> like it's that um but for sure like i totally relate to what you're saying like um n not even like having so much tunnel vision on a goal that you even like forget what wins are you know what i mean like it wasn't that you don't celebrate your wins as you forgot what your wins were. Like that was a huge win, you know, 240 for, you know, double. Like, I, and I, I remember like at my comp recently, I scored a 240 for my second and I did it, but I was annoyed because the bar threw me forward a little bit. And I lost my back. And I remember going back to him like, I lost my back, didn't I? Damn it. And you're like, you just PB'd. Like, <laughs> why are you upset? <laughs> I was like, oh, you're right. I've never done that before. And- yeah, it can be so easy to just um, focus on the neg negatives because we get it like when we set a goal, you're just so focused on um, improving yourself so much and, you know, fixing yourself or whatever is wrong because it's all about this end goal and you forget along the way that, yeah, um, you, you're actually accomplishing these, you know, milestones that you just forget about because you're just so focused on, you know, looking inward and getting better. And yeah, I, I'm for sure like a victim of that, you know, even um, last week I did like 175 for eight in like sleeves for, and I was like, this was so hard. 
this was so hard and I realized I've never done that before. Like the last time I did that was in reps for five. You know what I mean? Like, mm. but you just, you don't think about it. You know, you just think of, oh, I need to be better. I need to be better because the goal is 300 or whatever it is. Yeah. You're a goal setter, aren't you? Well, you're, you're yeah, definitely I'm a, a planner. I'm, I'm a 100% goal setter. I think is a really powerful thing when used well. I just think like within our sport, everything's measured through numbers. So everybody has that as a priority. Um, so like, you know, things, goals can shift and they can be away from numbers and be things like, you know, a period that I'm going through now is what I'd call like an off season where I'm not prepping for a competition. And so my goal is to gain size. So the numbers is just a resistance to elicit that response. So like I'll be more driven towards getting bigger and my goals will be more towards like, you know, putting muscle on. So the numbers I've sort of detached for, because I know a part of this like macro process is going to be like, if I can do this portion well, track this well, draw some attention and make this the main priority right now, then when I get more specific, then it's going to yield the the response that I want. And then I, that can come from there. So I think people do fixate on numbers. If someone's going through a weight cut and they've lost, you know, an incredible amount of weight, but then they're still very concerned about the numbers. It's like, well, the main priority was this, this deficit. You've achieved it. You're in a way better body composition. You're healthier, la, la, la. And now we can start building and shifting the priorities more towards like, you know, prepping for a competition and getting some weight on the bar but they can just be so attached to like numbers and stuff that they can lose attention of like other wins that, you know, contribute to, to, to lifting. But in terms of like setting actual weight goals, I, I do that personally, um, but I do it in much shorter settings. So I'll do it through like a block to block. So like if I was um, going into a, like a strength block and if I was like, you know, three blocks out away from, away from competitions, I'll set little goals within, within those little blocks. Um, and they'll just be very, very conservative goals that I feel like will keep me on track because, like, I'm a bit weird. I track everything that I do. So I know what I've done in this period, like, a year, two, three years ago. So I know there's, like, as long as it's ahead of those previous times that I've been at this stage, I'm getting better. And ultimately, I just want to make little wins all the time. The more I can make those little wins, then the bigger wins just become, you know, become sweeter. But I think where people go wrong as well with like attachment to numbers, especially when they're prepping for a comp is in like the peak, say like 300 was the goal, they'll select the numbers based upon that 300. Like I have to squat 270 for two at this point um, in order for me to hit 300 at comp. They'll move that like shit. And then they'll just be like, I got to go up the next week. And the numbers, the numbers, their end goal numbers, their goal weight, which could be out of reach, is like what's determining their squat sessions. And then as a result of that, their training is just getting like harder and harder. They're not practicing anymore. They're just maxing out. And that's when you got like that point of diminishing returns. So like the peak was meant to be practice to get you prepared for when it matters, the comp day. But as a result, they just maxed out every time of their peak and they get to comp day and they just flop. And I think most, a lot, I've seen a lot of competitors get to comp massively underperform because they've hugely overshot the whole of their peak. And that's when like goal setting can be, can be, you know, really inconsistent because like the, the, they're losing sight of like what that block is actually meant to do. And they're just determining numbers based upon what they think they should hit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, what all you guys are saying is pretty much be careful that your goals don't make you blind to what's in front of you, whether it is the the process, the milestones that you're hitting along the way, or the performance directly in front of you, like in the in the example of a peak. I think goals are, um, you know, Jordan Jordan made a point of saying that goals are really important. Where I would make the opposite point 
five years ago that goals are not important at all. And I think what it is is that um, how we view goals and the importance of goals and how they should be set is so relevant to how we view that for ourselves. And so as a planner and as a goal setter, you see a lot of value in them. And I'm the opposite. I don't plan and I don't get goal set and I'm relatively time blind, so I don't see any value in them. And I think it's important for us as coaches to realize that you know, if I'm working with someone who's very goal-oriented, I have to... I have to meet them in the middle. I have to bring them down to the point where they don't get so blinded by the goals that they miss the process. Um, whereas if I work with someone like me who doesn't see goals and doesn't see values in goals, I have to elevate them a little bit so they don't lose drive. So they're not just like, why am I even doing this in the first place? Because you do need like some sort of underlying factor to drive you forward. Um, and you know, th in that sense, goals are going to come in many ways, shapes and forms. So because I'd, I'd, my goals historically have not been set on I need to do this, but rather the, they've been set on I want to do this comp. So the comp itself is the goal and that's it. No ideal numbers, no figures to chase anything like that. I mean, I talk about I want to hit 900 raw, uh, but it, that doesn't sit in the back of my mind when I train. Like the, the next comp sits in the back of my mind when I train or the enjoyment of training. So I'm, I'm never actually thinking if I'm hitting this, I'm on track to that number. I'm just like, yeah, it'd be cool to total 900. Um, it's just something I vocalize, but it doesn't actually have much emotional meaning to me. And so, I, I, yeah, I, I do think um, I, I completely agree with you that goals can be um, can be a bit dangerous if they overshadow the process. Like ultimately, that's what comes this comes down to is that the the process is the thing that gets you to the goal. Um, it doesn't really need an analogy, but for the sake of analogy, if you want to make a cake and you can't separate the egg whites from the egg yolks and that's one of the steps, you're fucked. Like you have to learn the process. You have to appreciate the shitty parts of the process, the process, the parts of the process you're not good at or you don't want to do. You have to do that to get to your goal. Um, and so the goal can be a really cool um, factor to help drive towards that through those periods of training or those periods of time where you don't enjoy and you're not good at uh, but if you just focus on the goal and then lose sight of the actual process you, you're ultimately just met with disappointed dis disappointment do you think that's like um, a bit of like art of coaching as well oh if, for sure you know like if if a client has real high expectations you can't just crush them and just be like nah you're not that strong that's way out of reach mm. you have to then sort of steer the goal to make sure that they're still feeling satisfied that they're creating creating little wins as well whether mm -hmm. you're pulling it away from the numbers and you're putting it on like scale weight food accountability to sleep whatever or whether then they you are going to steer it towards the numbers and giving them sort of like instead of i want to squat 300 it's like well how about you try and do like 250 for four and set these like little micro goals mm -hmm. and then and then you can you know always work back then so when they do get towards the top end you can lay back and like what what the example that james gave you know like all of the little wins that he had you can reinforce that as a coach to the to the client you know you're getting way better you've done this that's a pb you've done this that's a pb you've done this that's a pb and then you can sort of uplift them if they are feeling deflated because they've set goals too high it's it's funny that you mentioned that because one of my boys who just competed geordie davis He's got massive expectations of himself. And he's, um, he's a freak of a lifter too. He's a really good lifter. He's going to be great. But for me, he had these huge numbers. And at the time, I was like, I was thinking, you're not going to hit anywhere near, near these numbers. So obviously, like you said, you can't say that. So what I did uh, without actually, so what I did unintentionally, every session he'd hit a PB, I'd make sure I celebrated it real hard just to let him know. So he'd take a step back himself and be like, oh shit, that was a PB. Mm. Kind of take the focus off the, you know, the, 
the macro goal, the end goal of this number that he wanted to hit that I thought he was still very far away from. Um, so yeah, I did that. You know, it's a little bit of a do as I say, not as I do uh, type thing. But I'd always celebrate extra hard his PBs, his wins in training leading up to competition because I was like, these are fucking huge. I want him to be happy with these. And he's relatively new to lifting. So someone who can squat 185 kilos that hasn't even trained a year, to me, is unreal. Like, mm, yeah. For sure. And, and I think that's a really important thing, like the, the fact of celebrating those, those PBs along the way because someone who is blinded by the goal will fall short of it and then go, I haven't made any progress because mm. I've been, and so if you can remind them all the time of the progress that they're making and have it in their face like that becomes helpful. And in terms of what Jordan mentioned with the art of coaching, a big part of it for us as coaches is relying on history and being able to foresee the possibility of this outcome in the time frame that they wanted in and laying that foundation early being like, okay, you want to squat 300 by the end of the year. That's going to be really hard. We'll go for it. We'll go as far as we can, but you have to recognize that that kind of progress is is pretty crazy or something. You know, you have to start setting that foundation quite early, and it can be tricky because, especially with a new client that you don't have the trust and rapport with, part of you needs to be a yes man to get them on board and to get like if if someone comes to you and they're like, "Hey, I really want to do this. Do you think I can?" You're like, "Nah." They're like they're just gonna go to the next person who says they can do it, and so like. For me, anytime someone says, "Do you think I can do this?" I say, "Anything is possible." <laughs> yeah. yeah, of of course you can. Can you do it in this time frame? Don't know. We'll find out. Maybe not. Maybe who knows? Uh, I try and keep it really quite broad and fluffy, um, which does which can piss a goal setter off. But I'll always follow it with like, "Here's what we're going to do to work towards your goals. Here's what re- is realistic with progress over time." Uh, blah blah blah. Try and relate it back to the process that we're going to use towards that. Sure. What yeah. else we got? Um, how uh, do you pick a coach? That's the third subject? Third yes. topic? That's the next one. How to pick a coach. For me personally, I'd look at what competitions that they've won, <laughs> especially if they're single lift. Like if you're looking for a deadlift yes. coach, for example, mm. think of the elite of the elite. You know, <laughs> you're looking for maybe deadlift, pro raw, deadlift only winner, champion, superstar of the world. That's where I'd be starting. And basically look at every other option underneath that as trash. <laughs> as trash. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nah. I mean, it's, it's up to you. You can either, you, you can stay at the hotel, uh, you can stay at the Hilton or, you, you know, you can stay at the motel on the corners. Numbers don't lie. You won. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, that seems fair. That's right. <laughs> Jordan, how, do you, how, how would you say pick a coach? My answer was satirical, by the way. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back oh, to that. Really? I was just going to echo that. Um, how do I pick a coach? So I'd say like the first, the first thing I would do is look at the coach's success rate. So success rate with um, coaching lifters. Um, so you know if they're getting, if their clients are getting results, they must be doing, they must be doing something right. Um, but like more, so, more so now. Um, you know, there's plenty of decent, decent coaches out there. I, I would say someone that I feel like I could like get on with in terms of like get on well with their with their system the way they coach the way they communicate and um, but ultimately like you know you can someone can recommend you a coach but if you don't really trust them you're not really going to get the most out of the out of the coaching so I just feel like if you're gonna you're gonna choose the coach and you're gonna you know uh, hire someone then you have to put your faith and your trust in them so like 
the person that you get drawn towards in terms of like their coaching style, their manner, their attitude, the way they present themselves as like a business, if that draws to you and you believe, you know, they, they can, you know, drive progress, I think that would be the that would be the coach I would choose. Like the reason I chose Thomas when when I, you know, first went down that route was because hearing him on podcasts, hearing the stuff that he used to used to say, um, was really, really technical. I felt like it made a lot of sense. I didn't feel like there's a lot of people putting that sort of information out there, um, that much thought into, you know, the, the the main lifts. And then when I reached out and we had a couple of conversations, we had the initial console, I felt like we got on really, really well and I was bought in immediately then. I'm really glad you didn't mention the part where I was your sloppy second choice, but yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were third, actually. Oh, third. Sorry, my bad. Behind the AI, <laughs> not even a real person. I thought I'd get on well with an artificial intelligence before Thomas Lilly. Oh, that's so good. I'm, I'm about as robotic anyway. <laughs> um, I'll answer this a little bit differently. I'm going to take it back to my first experience when I got into the gym. I had a personal trainer that I didn't get along with. We didn't fucking talk. It was just the worst sessions. And I was paying fucking, I don't know, I was, how old was I? 18 years old paying, you know, paying this guy 70 bucks an hour, whatever it was. And they're the most fucking boring sessions I've ever had. Yeah, the training was probably pretty good. But at the time I was like, this fucking sucks. I'm paying this guy to hang out with him. He doesn't say a fucking word to me. And the whole time I was doing these sessions, I was watching this other trainer. And I was watching all his clients laughing, all his clients having fun. You know, they're all talking shit. And the whole time I was like, I want to go train with that guy. And then I eventually made the switch to him. And the reason I made the switch to him is because I admired that guy. I liked what he brought. So, because um, at the end of the day, coaching is support and guidance. Um, and the way he supported his clients, the way he guided them, but having fun at the same time, really, that really drew me uh, to going and training with this guy. That's in like a face-to-face setting. So that's mm. a, it's a little bit different. Um because that's what I like. If you're paying for a service, yeah, you want to, you want like, you want to make it as good as possible for you for them. So if you can, you know, talk a little bit of shit, have some fun, make them laugh. You know, that's a bonus, and it's ultimately what's going to keep them coming back. As long as like the, um, like, the, like the main goal is obviously training. So if the training's consistent, good, you uh, on top of that, it's just a bonus. Mm. So for me, it was that. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's important to highlight that. Like it's what kind of coach are you looking for because online to in person is going to be different and goal oriented is going to be different if you're a little bit more gen pop or general strength the requirements of what you need from the coach may change who who you end up selecting like i probably wouldn't be a a, i definitely wouldn't be a good fit for someone wanting general personal training because that's not me i could like i would be that guy that has nothing to say and i'm well aware of that which is why i've never taken on pt clients ever I've done very, very few um, consistent weekly online, uh, consistent weekly in-person coaching sessions with people over the years because I know it's not my strength. I know my strength is uh, more in-depth, more technical, more high-performance sort of coaching that doesn't require as much babying and the kind of people that I work with don't require as much um, constant attention or one-on-one attention like that in general. Some people do and some people enjoy that, which is fair enough. Um, So... I'm going to I'm going to answer this question from that perspective from more like the powerlifting or high performance sort of perspective. Um, I'd echo what Jordan says in in terms of look at the look at the coach who's a working with the kind of people that you want to be. Um, but more importantly within that getting consistent results regardless of the level of that person. Uh, for me what I'd be looking for is 
are, are they clearly using consistent principles? You know, are all their lifters using similar exercise sets? Are they all lifting with similar technique? To me, that screams that the coach has a really good idea of a base understanding of principles that they can apply to the individual rather than treating everyone like a snowflake and letting them do their own thing. Um, there, sh- there should be something that shines through as like this coach is using some sort of uh, consistent approach and as a result getting consistent results. Um, that's what I'd be, be looking for in coaching. And, and I would follow that by saying, um, remember coaching is a shortcut to where you want to be. You know, if you want to be best of the best in powerlifting, coaching is a shortcut to get you there. Like Jordan said, you have to have full faith and trust in the person that you are employing for this task, which means if you're unsure of them, but you're, th- you're thinking of going on board with them, ask them a bunch of questions. Get them on a phone or a Zoom call or something like that. If they're resistant to that, they're not for you anyway. You know, ask them a bunch of questions, work out if they're the kind of person that you want to work with, but also be open to doing things differently. If what you were doing or your beliefs around training worked, you wouldn't need a coach. So why are you looking for one? So don't come to a coach and be like, oh, I feel like we should be doing this. I should be doing, I respond better to more bench or more deadlift sessions or whatever. If you respond better, if you know what you respond better to, just go fucking do it yourself. Don't come to a coach and then tell them how you, how to coach you. What's the point in that? You have to buy completely into the system. Yeah, there should be conversation back and forth. But, you know, if, if you're of that mindset where you know how you want to be coached, just coach yourself. Don't, don't waste your time with a coach or just get a yes man or something like that. Um, and then I would say on top of that, you know, that idea of coaching being a shortcut, you'll get to your result quicker and then more efficient cost-wise with a better coach. So don't cheap out because a less expensive coach is a less experienced coach, but they cost less because their methods will get you there slower. You'll get the result quicker if you average it out over time. The cheaper coach that doesn't know as much and doesn't get good results it's going to cost you more because you're going to have to stay with them longer to get to the same place as the more expensive, more experienced coach. It's um, We've used this analogy before where we compare it to other sports, but it's weird. You go to rugby training, you go to football training, you go to tennis training, your coach says something, you just fucking do it. But our industry, because it's a little bit, uh, it's more easily accessible. There's lots of people on Instagram. There's lots of Instagram coaches. So it gives, uh, there's a lot of people that think they already know everything. Like it's just a weird, it's a weird space to be in. Like it's a very common and in powerlifting and lots of barbell sports where everyone just thinks they know what they're doing. Yeah. I think the, the big problem is like the broader absence of an underlying agreement of a system of principles that applies to everyone. And people are trying to do this. Like that's what I'm trying to accomplish with the zero coach development stuff is like, here is what determines all the coaching decisions that we make. And then you go off as a coach and apply it in the best way that suits you and your clients. Uh, But because there isn't this universal understanding, uh, People are far more like getting this coach-client um, relationship that's far more like collaborative rather than do as I say. Uh, and I actually prefer the do as I say coaching style. And I prefer that A, because I want to be in control of someone does good or bad. So I can look back and say, if you didn't do as good as you wanted to do and everything that was in your control was on point, I need to change something on my end. Like I need to get better. I don't want the results of a client to be hampered by the fact that they screwed up somewhere along the way. They fucked up their RPE selections. They fucked up their drop sets because they fucked up their RPE selections. They, you know, didn't communicate effectively for a, um, for a reactive deload. I want to be in control of all of that. So all the onus of progress when everything else is in check falls back on me as the coach. 
Um, sounds like a control freak thing and part of it is, but I want the client to have the best experience and I know as the coach that my understanding of training is going to be better than the client's. Why? That's why they've come to me in the first place. That is my job. I'm the expert on training people, you know? Um, and so I don't, I don't want them to have input where I believe my input would be better. And, and I don't know if that comes across as arrogant or whatever. I, I, I hope it comes across as the opposite of, of selfless. Like I want any failure to fall back on me so I can get better at my job and get my clients better results. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, we got some more quick fire questions for both you guys. <laughs> First one, who's stronger, Jordan or Tombro? What do you reckon, Thomas? <laughs> I, I'd say Jordan. On paper, Jordan's stronger. He's got a bigger total. I would echo that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's it. So officially, Jordan, so Jordan's squat PB is higher. He's done 350. I've only done 345. <laughs> only Jordan's bench is like around I don't know what, what is it 120 <laughs> 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 175 175 mine's 200 so I got him pinned there so wait what's that 525 so I'm 20 ahead and then our deadlift PB's are 5 kilos apart he's pulled 340 I've pulled 345 but on paper I've he's totaled more in competition than I have yeah if you want the answer just go and open powerlifting yeah. <laughs> so, open powerlifting, Jordan's way stronger. In reality, I'm obviously way stronger. <laughs> like, the weird thing is, it's like we came back from Pro Raw together, like, on the same day, and I came back with a trophy, and I don't know, his baggage seemed really light when I picked it up to put it in my car, so. Yep. Next. Fair enough. All right. Um, Jordan, what is your favorite thing about Australia? Oh. Favorite thing about Australia in in terms of just my stay here so far? Yeah. Um, this is your first time here, is my it? My first time here. Yeah. Favorite thing, uh, probably just meeting my clients. It's been it's been sick. Like um, you know, I've had like you know clients from all all over, but I've I've had a, a few over here, mm-hmm. um, and I've managed to meet up with literally everyone. So that's been like my favorite thing to do is like actually meet them for real, meet them in person, train with them in person. Um, but away f- away from that, the gyms. Like we just don't have these, we just don't have these gyms at home, and it's like it's it's a novelty. I walk in here and I'm like, "Fuck, this is sick," and uh, yeah, it just hasn't hasn't got old. You know, we've gone to Thomas and I've taken me to Brisbane, Southside, down to the Gold Coast, and every time I walk in them, like I said to him this morning, we walked into Southside, and I walked in and I was just like, "Fwah," and I was like, "Does this like does this get old for you? Like you walking into like your this you created these, you created this brand. Does it not get old?" And he's like, "Nah, it never gets never gets old." So yeah, that's been my favorite thing. Just like spending time in these gyms, hanging out with people, training, just getting a pump, and yeah, just loved it. Are you getting homesick? Um, a little, a little, a little homesick. You know, <laughs> Welsh people. I can't wait to go home and see my dog, my fiance. Um, but we need to bring a little bit of zero back home. So yeah. Do yeah, you on. was that like surreal? Because you probably never thought you'd meet your clients to an extent. So was that kind of surreal? Yeah, it was. It was. It was because I was. never actually thought I'd ever meet you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I thought we were just mm. going to be internet friends. So when I met you, and it wasn't even awkward, it just felt like I knew you for ages. You know, we slapped it up, we gave each other a hug, just started talking shit straight off the bat. And it wasn't until I left, I was like, I've never fucking met Jordan. Yeah. Like, I've never met you in person. Like, I've always just messaged you talking shit or, you know, we just like each other's photos or, you know, comment on each other's shit. And 
Yeah. So yeah, for me it was really surreal meeting you, but for me it was even better meeting you and you're just an amazing bloke and even better bloke in person than you are on the internet. Oh, mm. likewise, man. And so yeah, that's it's, cool. It's been super cool. Like everyone's been class. Like coming over here and you create this like perception of people, then they you know surpass your expectations. Everyone's really forward, grateful. Yeah, it's fucking wicked. Loved it. So the dedication of the people as well. Like Lachlan Foster drove down from Sydney to watch pro roll. Uh, to to meet Jordan, Jordan coaches Lachlan in in Sydney, or even further than Sydney, Central Coast. Um, then Sarah Fletcher, you know, Sarah Fletcher lives in fucking Chinchilla, or you know, the middle of nowhere, and uh, almost an hour out of Toowoomba. It's like two and a half hours from here. I mean, Tom Hardy, Jordan doesn't coach him, but he drives down here all the time to hang out. It's really cool to see how how much people love this community. It's infectious. It doesn't surprise me. That was like Jimmy Barnes as well. He's like, oh, when, when, Miss, when's Jordan training? I want to be there when he's training. Or, well, that's cool. Like, same thing. D- didn't know him. And it's just, yeah, cool to be a part of such a huge community mm. that's just continuing to grow. All right. This one's for everyone. One thing you want to do or see before you die. I don't, I don't swim with sharks. Ooh. <laughs> like great whites. I've had, I've had missed opportunities twice. And the next time I'm, I've got an opportunity, I'm not going to miss it. Will you go down in the big cage? No, I'll just go free dive. <laughs> of course I'll go down in the big cage. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you meant by swim. But yeah. Yeah, no, I just, I just want to be face-to-face with a great white. it would be sick. I want to see how big they are in real life. Crazy. You go, Jordan. I'm no, still thinking go. of mine. I'm still thinking of mine. Something I want to do before I die is... I'd probably say... I'm I'm really scared of heights, so I'd probably say jump out of an airplane. Oh, nice. hell no! Go yeah, that's I'm what the I mean. Same. I'm no real way. scared of heights. No thanks. Go do the Nemi's bungee jump in Queenstown. Uh so but things like that I can do because to me that's not that high. A bungee oh. jump. Yeah. So when I say I'm scared of that's, heights, that's the tallest bungee in the world. <laughs> like dangling over no, a eight. canyon, it's yeah. ridiculous. Like I'm scared of heights, but I like. You know, every time I've jumped off a cliff into water or something, I've been like, yeah, like it really sucks me up. So bungee jump would be good. But for me, like plane would be the, jumping out of a plane would be the ultimate test. All right. Mm. All right. Zero Christmas party. I know what we're doing. <laughs> Hell no. No one's rocking up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's too soon. No. <laughs> Whoa. I don't know. I feel like. No, you're, you're like, so when I, when I went to Queenstown last, I was two kilos over the weight limit for the bungee jump. So just play that card. Anytime yes. someone's like, yeah, we're going skydiving. Ah, oh, sorry, bro. Yeah, the, the shoot won't hold me. 110 <laughs> kilos. They'll have a weight limit. It'll, yeah. it'll be like 120 or something like that. Ah, oh, sorry, bro. 120 kilo weight limit. Yeah, that's the card I'll play. No, I feel like, because I have a horrible fear of heights. Like, mm. I mean, even like ladders, like that's too much. What, and like if you're looking out that window, is that scary? Or is it when you're exposed like on a balcony? When I'm exposed. So looking over like here when... James has the gate open and he's throwing a couch. (laughs) Did you throw the couch off the end? Yeah. I I had to, I didn't want to walk it around. So I was like, this is easier. So I dangled it, dangled it off the side. And I knew CJ was what, yeah, see, this is OH&S. You can't tell Thomas that. And now he didn't do that. (laughs) But then I knew CJ was watching me freaking out. So I pretended to trip. (laughs) I could see CJ watching me like. And I was on the ground. He's near the edge. So I like pretended I slipped and grabbed onto the edge and I looked at CJ and his face lit up yeah yeah like it's that like people that are like standing on top of a ladder i'm not even up there and i'm like i get for me when i look over like ledges and stuff my knees just give and i just i don't know what it is but i feel like with skydiving 
it's so high that you've just detached mm. from because in airplanes I don't have that feeling. Yeah, and that's way more dangerous than chilling in a building. Yeah. See if you feel the same when the doors open and you're hanging out the side of it. <laughs> so yeah, probably. For context of CJ's fear of heights, Thomas, when that gate's open, instead of walking like around, he'll like hug the machine and like walk <laughs> in the door. How did you go when we were doing the Renaults and he, you had to walk across that plank? Yeah, that was rough. He was mentioned to me rough. all the time. I remember, I knew it was your fear. Because that was real bouncy yeah, as well. Yeah, that was a <laughs> I knew it was your fear when you're asking me, when you're like, yeah, just because of my clients. And I'm like, <laughs> brother, <laughs> too, if brother. a client falls through, <laughs> there was no railing. <laughs> Talk about our H&S. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. One thing you guys wanted to see or do before you guys. Geordie. Geordie. Jordan. Jordan. I've never called um, you Geordie. Jords. <laughs> Getting real comfortable. Jordan. <laughs> a bit familiar there, James. Uh, big, big J. Yeah. <laughs> Um, probably we, we spoke about it this morning. Probably the safari. You know, I really want to do like mm. uh, like a Kenyan safari, South African safari, or something like that. Just sort of embellish in like you know in wildlife a little bit more. I feel like you know like I follow a couple of like Instagram pages like the dark side of nature, and it's a bit it's a bit like mental, but like you know sort of acknowledging that it exists and seeing seeing things from like that level. Um, and then just like thinking back, like me and Thomas spoke about like sapiens and stuff. Like one probably my favorite book. And from reading that and like seeing like the hunter gatherers and stuff and just seeing wildlife happen at that level and just following along, being amongst it, I think would be sick. Mm. I could, I couldn't get over how big the animals are. Like, you know, you think of a deer or like an antelope or a, a gazelle or whatever, they're not very big, but then they've got like kudu, which is like this giant deer with the spiral. Horn. They're gigantic. I can't get over how big these animals are. Anyway, mm. last one. Um, did you answer? Yeah, sharks. yeah, sharks. Oh, sharks. Um, me, I'd love to see the hundred meter sprint at the Olympics. Oh, Ooh, nice. that's a cool yeah. one. I think that would be. Oh, you can do great. it in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, that'll be. Yeah, mad. that's very possible. Yeah, for that's sure. Ten years away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, three people you'd invite to dinner, dead or alive, and where would you go? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. You're going to throw the where would you go? That was just what was written. <laughs> okay, my three would be Nikola Tesla, Ooh. Beethoven, and it's mythical, but also factual, maybe, is Quetzalcoatl. Who's that? <laughs> what, or what is that? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Quetzalcoatl is, like, exists in lots of, in lots of cultures, it's featured as like a kind of a Caucasian person with a big beard. Um, and so, for example, in the in ancient South America, they were seen as these people that came and taught them everything they knew. So like in in South America, I can't remember which country, but they, um, they had this recipe for like regenerative soil where they would, there was like this d defined recipe of, um, certain quantities of things that they'd put in the soil to make it consistently fertile. Like without the technology that we have today in terms of fertilizer, they had this way of making this, yeah, this regenerative soil. And they they attribute it to this guy Quetzalcoatl. And it's, it's similar in like Egypt and um, Turkey and other cultures, like these, these people that showed up and taught the cultures everything they knew. And if they were real, I want to know where they came from and how they knew how to do all this stuff. Cool. <laughs> cool. Wow. 
Beethoven yeah. was he? We, we just lost eighty percent of our followers. <laughs> 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 the whole the whole time Thomas said those things, I was like, do I need to change mine to smart people? <laughs> I, know, I mean, all, I didn't really listen. Then I think yeah. I better change my guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm way too Same. simple for this podcast. <laughs> no, literally just let, dozed off. Let, let me change it then. Let me change it. I'm going to change the last one for like Quetzalcoatl. I'm going to change that to Matt Hoffman. Oh, he's human. Yeah, there you go. Oh, Matt, Matt Hoffman. Phew. Yeah. In fact, Matt Hoffman would probably be the top of my list. That's cool. Who's Matt Hoffman? BMX rider. Oh, oh okay. God. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't follow. Is, was Beethoven deaf? Yeah. Yeah. I th- well, I he he went deaf towards the end of his career and his music oh. became way more complicated. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, because he knew music theory so well that he just knew the patterns of music that he didn't need to hear. That's fucking unreal. Yeah, insane. Yeah. And like, we don't give credit. I was talking to Jordan about this yesterday. We don't give credit to the people like that back in the day, how fucked their lives were, like in terms of just disease and sickness. Mm. If you got a little bit sick or you got a cut with an infection, you're gone. Yeah. <laughs> like so many of them died from the most useless ways of dying. Like got a flu and died. Yeah. Or got the plague and died. Like yeah. a cut, an infected cut. Yeah. Jordan. My three, random three, be the weirdest dinner party, but selfish. So it'd be Ed Cohen, my favorite powerlifter. So I have yeah. something there. Um, yeah, I would love to know his journey, his history. I read like a ebook on on Ed Cohen, and it was about all his like successes, and it's really vast. So obviously, so I'd love to get to know that more. Ricky Gervais, I think oh, he's class yeah. on so yes. many levels. He's literally the funniest comedian ever, but he's also super super intellectual as well. Yeah. Um, and he's like a a real big like advocate of like agnostic atheism. So I'd love to sort of extrapolate like his viewpoint there. Um, and he's really well educated too. And then the third person would be a guy, you probably won't know him. His name's Mitch Lucker. Um, he was the vocalist for a band called Suicide Silence. Ah, uh, yes. Great punk rock band of, band of the 90s. Ah, they were hardcore. Uh. <laughs> yeah, they, like, they, they sort of, they, that band sort of created like a subgenre called deathcore. But Mitch Lucker's vocals were probably the first sort of vocal set that had so much diversity in sort of his like gutturals, growls, screams, squeals. Um, and yeah, they just blew up. And that was probably one of the first bands that really got me into like that sort of hard, like really hard aggressive music. Um, and he died in a motorcycle crash when they, after like two albums deep, like really, really young. Oh, yeah, but he was like, yeah, that guy is like the king. Like his vocal set was just unbelievable. So yeah, those three. Has he, since he died, has he become like a cult figure in the... Um, in it, that genre? Short term. Like, yeah, it sort of went in and out. Like, he had a huge following, massive funeral, like, loads of funding. Um, they did, like, memorial shows where, like, loads of different artists sort of did all of his songs. It was amazing. Um, but then, like, the, the band went on. They had a new vocalist, and they still exist now, but a much lower level, much different type of genre. But, yeah. Um, my three my three are pretty simple. Uh, my favorite sports, sports person, LeBron James. Uh, I love LeBron James, so he'd be there just for the fact that it's LeBron James. I would finally get to meet my idol. He's probably going to be my next tattoo as well. Get a portrait of LeBron James on my leg. Um, so, yeah, LeBron. Number two would be my favorite comedian, Andrew Schultz. I just yes. love everything Andrew Schultz does. I listen to all his podcasts. Uh, the Brilliant Idiots, Flagrant 2. Uh, he's the man. Have you guys heard of Andrew Schultz? Yeah. yeah, yeah so his fan. stuff's fucking love awesome. Him. And my third one's really random, but... I think about it all the time because I've actually consumed every single piece of content that he's in or he's a part of. His name's Salehi Bembury. So he's a footwear designer um, and he's designed for Crocs. He's designed for New Balance. He's uh, designed for uh, Versace 
and he's just a really really interesting character mm. so he's way different he's not he's not like a when you think of footwear designer you think of some real flashy high-end type person but he's not like that at all he's just a really super weird character like he loves going on hikes by himself um everything about him i love like he influences the way i dress the way i yeah, he's just someone that I really look up to. And I always think about it, because when I type his name in on YouTube, it's like, all right, I've watched every single thing that features this guy in it. So I love that guy. So it'll be cool to meet him. That's awesome. Mm. Where would you guys actually take these people? SK. <laughs> Guzman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Beethoven, get a fucking, get, get a pork taco up here. <laughs> get that in your gullet. <laughs> in your gullet. Um, my three, uh, I'd have to... I'd love to have dinner with Kobe Bryant. Um, R.I.P. Black Mamba. Yeah. I just, yeah, would love to pick his mind with just his mentality and just who he is. Um, gosh, you guys are had comedians now. I feel. Just be yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to meet Chris Martin, lead singer of Coldplay. Um, that'll be the article in music. And, oh. I'll come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jordan Hellier. Yeah. Um, actually, no, I will have a comedian. I love Bill Burr. Yeah. I think he's hilarious and just his view on the world is just, uh, it's just so funny. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good time, I reckon. Awesome. Yeah. And I don't know where I'd take them. I'd probably ask one of you guys where I should take them. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's us. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Jordan, for joining us again. Um, we love having you here. Love spending time with you here in Australia. And um, yeah, if you guys enjoyed this episode, give us five stars, like, and subscribe, and we will see you guys next time. Bam. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Zero Podcast. If you want more information, head to our Instagram, zero underscore weakness. Hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions. Thank you once more.